The following podcast contains alcohol-enhanced conversations about alcohol, as well as the potential for the discussion about topics of dubious, disturbing, possibly offensive, but usually hilarious interest. The opinions stated herein are solely of the persons making them, and any endorsement of these opinions by any other party is not implied. Foul language is likely, but intolerant viewpoints are not. Listener intoxication is advised. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Whiskey Tangent Podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Ed. And by now, you're all well aware that if the number of the episode is evenly divisible by five, then we're serving up some whiskey cocktails. That's right. Five, 10, 15, 20. And today's episode is 25. <laughs> but we've got good news and bad news. Hmm. The bad news is that sadly, for the first time on one of our cocktail episodes, we won't have any friends, guests, or professional bartenders joining in on the fun because the Rona's a real bitch, y'all. Or amateur friend bartenders like Gabe. <laughs> right. Or all three. Right. However, the good news is we'll be using three different high-proof whiskeys. Each cocktail uses only four easily obtained ingredients, so you can make them at home, and each drink brings with it an interesting story about its origins. So, first things first, Ed's going to get us acquainted with the high-proof whiskeys we're using, as well as the three cocktails we'll be making with them tonight. Right. Thanks, Scott. So we were thinking, uh, we've been practicing social distancing. This is only the second time that we've recorded in the last six weeks. Right. We're about eight feet apart. We measured it and we're doing all the safety precautions. And then we said, you know what's an even extra safety precaution? Mm. The higher the proof of the whiskey, the more germs it will be killed <laughs> as we drink tonight. So we decided to go with high proof cocktails because some people feel like it's a sacrilege, if you will, to mm. use higher proof spirits in drinks. Mm. For people who feel that maybe the vermouth or the simple syrup takes away too much of the whiskey, having the extra proof there makes a difference. So yeah. the first one will be a whiskey sour made with bourbon, simple syrup, and lemon juice. And the option of, of, of adding egg whites is pretty common, yeah. though we're deciding not to. Yes. It doesn't add a heck of a lot to the flavor, but it adds for appearance and frothiness and a little mm -hmm. bit of a mouthfeel. Right. Uh, the bourbon that we're using is Maker's Mark Cast Strength Bourbon, 109.6 proof. Yes. The next drink is called the Scofflaw. Mm. Harkens back to our Prohibition whiskey from January. It does. It has a rye whiskey in it, dry vermouth, grenadine, and again, lemon juice, which will be the theme connecting all three of the drinks tonight, as you will see. Yes. And the whiskey that we're using, the rye whiskey, will be Knob Creek Cast Strength Rye, 126 proof. Oh, man. It's so good. Straight on the rocks mm -hmm. splashed on your cheeks going out after a nice shave <laughs> getting ready for the evening it's a lovely lovely spirit and then our third drink will be the bourbon 75 a very unique twist on the french 75 is bourbon honey don't call me honey champagne and lemon juice <laughs> and we're using old ezra seven year bourbon 117 proof yeah so all of these hit pretty hard and we're looking to see how they hold up in the different 
cocktail variations. Right. Does the um, the high proof of the whiskeys overwhelm the rest of the ingredients or does it hold up to it and it all balances out and it tastes delicious? Right. Now, I should say that what we did is we went on to all of the websites for these liquors and we took drinks that were created by the companies themselves right. for their regular proof spirits. So right. You can it, go on their websites and see these exact cocktails absolutely. right there. Yeah. And we decided, let's take these, but let's take it up a notch. Right. Let's take it to 11. Right. You know, and see how the cocktails taste with the higher proofage uh, spirits being used. And I'm excited about that. Yeah, I am too. When we were doing research about these, they all have really interesting stories to them. Like Ed said, the Scofflaw and even the Bourbon 75 have their prohibition roots and Whiskey Sour, I think is even earlier than that. So we're going to make the cocktails. We're going to talk about the history of the cocktails and we're going to get really, really stupid drunk. There's no way we can't drinking three high proof cocktails like this and the way that we like to drink them. <laughs> right. So we pretty much drink two of each of them when we're done. But um, so when we come back, I'm going to talk about the Maker's Mark Cast Strength Bourbon 109 being used to make our rendition of the Whiskey Sour, which once again will have bourbon, simple syrup, and lemon juice. Egg whites optional. I'm broke and I Okay, we're back. I made the drinks according to the website's specifications. Um, there's a lot of lemon in this. Uh, I guess that's the sour part. I also added a cherry to it. Right. So the mixture part of it was two ounces of whiskey, one ounce of simple syrup, and a half ounce of lemon juice per drink. Right. All right. We're going to try it right now. It's been garnished with a cherry and a little well, lemon rind. Lemon rind, yeah. Mm. Ooh. Wow. Where's the drink? <laughs> I mean, there's enough whiskey there, sweetness from the simple syrup, and the, and there's a sour finish to it. It's really delicious. What's that middle flavor? Like, almost like cola, mm. right? It could be the use of the uh, weeded bourbon. It could yeah. Be, it could be the presence of the wheat, actually, in the uh, sweetness component of that. It's sweet in the very beginning, and then there's this strange middle part, and then the sour comes at the end. Well, the middle part is going to be the whiskey. Yeah. The simple syrup opens it up. Mm -hmm. It's sweet. It hits your taste buds first, I think. Then there's the Castrain's Maker's Mark at 109 sitting there, and then it finishes with a really very lemony, sour aftertaste. But then when you're done swallowing everything, it's still sweet. Yeah. Like, it finishes sweet. I almost want to call it like a root beer kind of middle. And yeah, I feel what you're saying, but... Like Scott said, there's four ingredients in here. Traditionally, if you include the egg whites, which we did not. Right. We actually have ice in the drink, so 
we served on the rock. So technically, there is four things in the glass. There's ice, <laughs> bourbon, simple syrup, and lemon juice. There's also a cherry. So and now we cherry, have like, like and a, five. And a lemon rind. So that's five ingredients. Six no. ingredients. No, but really. We're liars. What we like about it is, because a lot of drinks can be really complicated. And, and trust me, the bourbon 75 is not just laying around your house. you got to plan for it. <laughs> and so with, same with the uh, scoff law. But this one, I mean, in the summertime, put this in a Collins glass if you want. It's sitting outside in the sun. These can be really dangerous. Yeah, so it, it's good. The more I drink it, the yeah. more that strange middle taste doesn't bother me as much i guess i was just kind of thrown off for it because i wasn't expecting it i see what you're tasting and it's got to be because of the maker's part. i agree if we use bullet or something in this oh yeah um, it would be completely different i think yeah what <laughs> looking at me using you want to use bullet because we do have high proof bullet <laughs> so we'll no, be right back we're about to make a um a um no no a no 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 we can't do that. We have two more high-proof cocktails, that, and we already had the Widow Jane. You're speaking logical. <laughs> I agree. But it would be interesting yeah. to to see what that would be like. Maybe someday. Yeah, but maybe we'll do that someday. I guess the point that we just made, though, is with three major ingredients, whiskey, simple syrup, and lemons, you can make this pretty quickly and pretty easy most of the time. Yeah, and it's a really interesting drink, much more complex than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, if you make this with the regular Maker's Mark, I think it's very approachable for non-whiskey drinkers. Yeah. Uh, the high proof definitely takes it to another level, yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. I think next time I would probably add a little bit more lemon juice and a little less simple syrup. So we could always do that when we do it with the, uh, the bullet, Scott. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're pushing me toward the bullet, aren't you? <laughs> you totally are. All right, let me contemplate that while you do the history of the drink. Right, so... Because Ed's finished his already. Yeah, I'm done mine. Jesus, uh, I haven't even drink half of it. Yeah, well, you know... Well, you have to talk, so... I was tasting. Yeah. <laughs> You're tasting? So, you gulping, I think is the word for it. Gulping. Gulping. I was thirsty. I hadn't drank for half an hour, so... Gulping. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of um, controversy over where the whiskey sour first appears in history is there i read somewhere they said it doesn't appear in print till 1870 and then i see stuff where in 1792 a sailor crossing the atlantic 1792 um, mentioned how they had this drink to fight scurvy which oh. was using lemons with their whiskey that makes sense and some some sugar like mm -hmm. it would help keep people from getting too kind of banged up on the ship you know yeah and the lemon juice would help fight scurvy. Yeah. So is that the exact same whiskey sour? I mean, the British actually used gin. Americans liked whiskey. Yeah. And that's where the whiskey sour on, on the ships were born. Sure. Now, someone says that the recipe wasn't written down until 1862 by Jerry Thomas in the Bartender's Guide, which is still published today, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Sours was a basic recipe for centuries. And Vice Admiral Edward Vernon of England began mixing a few ingredients together to serve to his crew. This is what we talked about for the seasickness and malnutrition and scurvy. And that was with gin. But then that the Americans adopted the whiskey. Now, Jerry Thomas's 1862 recipe was one tablespoon of powdered sugar dissolved in seltzer. Hmm. They don't say how much. And then juice of half a small lemon. That's where I, I saw okay, half a lemon. Half a small lemon. That's what we use. That's for each drink. Mm -hmm. And then a wine glass of bourbon or rye whiskey. Now, a wine glass. Today's recipe has slightly changed. One and a half to two ounce of whiskey, one ounce of lemon juice, a half ounce of simple syrup. That's not what we did. No. We flipped it. We did a ounce of simple syrup and a half ounce of lemon juice. And yet Scott just said yeah. the change he would make would be what is what's in the bartender's guide today. Wow. Uh, one cool. and a half to two ounces of whiskey, or in our case, we would do three. And then <laughs> an ounce of lemon juice, half ounce of simple syrup, a quarter of an ounce of egg white, optional. Mm. 
as it was for us. Yes. And a cherry and lemon slice for garnish. We opted not. Also, we were a lot closer to three ounces of whiskey per drink than two. Right. Just so you know. But the bottom line is, I think that it's interesting that Scott perceived what changes he would make to the drink. And it turns out to be the official version in the bartender's (laughs) guide today. (laughs) Yeah, I'm old school. Right. Now, when I was a kid, I remember these were very popular in the 70s. Weddings. Weddings and and birthdays. Bar mitzvahs. Yeah, yeah. Anywhere there was like a social gathering, you'd have this like little fountain of whiskey sours and they were really acidic, like because it was made with this powdered sour mix. Yeah. Whatever the sour mix was. was And they would just mix it with whiskey. They would put a maraschino cherry in and they're like, go away. Yeah. That was terrible. They were different. They're much orangey. Yeah. Ours today was very dark and um, very lemony. Right. Yeah. So um, what I think really cool about this drink is how old its origins are right 1792 i mean that's a fucking long time ago and here we are in 2020 in a corona apocalypse drinking them listen i remember that my uncle tommy who was a cb of world war ii he's a tough guy he used to date this chick i used to call her aunt scott and aunt scott she was a little bit long in the teeth when i knew her she's my it's my stripper name you know, by the way she was <laughs> aunt scott aunt scott was <laughs> she was um a redhead she used to dress exactly how you picture people doing in the, like the 50s. You know what I mean? She was dressed to the nines. Her hair was always done. She had really thick makeup on and thick red lipstick, you know? Does she look like uh, Christina Hendricks in Mad Men? Yes. I'm sure when she was 25, she mm. was a knockout because mm-hmm. she still had a kicking body and she used to wear these like dresses. like the, Hugged the, the every hug, curve. Curve, right. Gotcha. And she would have like the, the stockings on with the shoes and she would smoke these long cigarettes with the red lipstick on the filter, you know, like. Right. And the lipstick's on the. Right. right. Yeah. She saw his call me doll. Hey doll, come over here and give, give your aunt Scott a kiss. Get that fresh ice. <laughs> And then she would drink whiskey sour, and that's what's her drink. So what was her actual name? Why Scott? Why Aunt Scott? I, I don't know. Scotty. They used to call her Scotty. Scotty. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, so I, I don't know what her uh, real name was when hmm. I was just a kid. But maybe we she maybe she was Scottish, and that was kind of a nickname. It's possible. I mean, yeah. I used to call her Aunt Scott, but the adults would call her Scotty. Crazy. She was so cool. I just thought she was the coolest woman, you know, mm-hmm. and just so different than my mom and everybody else, because she yeah. was like probably 20 years older than my mom, mm-hmm. you know, and there's just something about her, you know, that- Different era. Yeah. It's just, she was like- like a real classy dame yeah you know yeah cool all right so we're going to take a break real quick come back with uh, the uh, knob creek castranth rye scoff law awesome it'll seem like a second to you it'll be about five minutes to us <laughs> i mean like 20 minutes <laughs> it takes a while to make these cocktails anders um is underappreciated <laughs> oh, of course <laughs> Okay, folks, so here's what happened. We're not doing the scoff law just yet. Just yet. So Ed convinced me to make a single drink that we split in half. (laughs) We're using high-proof bullet bourbon barrel strength 125.4 proof. 
Right. And I made it the same way, just switching out the maker's mark for the bullet. And what we also did was we oh. doubled the lemon juice and we cut the simple syrup in half. Like Completely. So what I said is that we did the same thing. We did nothing of the right. same thing. We did nothing the same. <laughs> we used a different whiskey. Except we used different we ex- proportions of <laughs> lemon juice. We excluded egg whites from both of them. <laughs> we did. And also, there's no lemon rind or... <laughs> Or ice nah, or cherry. Nah, we're just going straight for the drink at this point. It's very, it's very pulpy, I'll tell you that much. Oh, it's very pulpy. And um, we're just going right to it. So this is um, 125 proof bourbon. Yeah. Oh, that's so much better. Wow. So much better. Yes. Switching the proportion of the lemon juice to the simple syrup is everything. I want to tell you something, though. I think maybe. I might go 0.75 and 0.75. Oh, you might do equal. I might do equal. Oh, interesting. It's definitely better than it was, but I need a little more sweetness oh, to finish. Well, I think that's true because you do like things a little sweeter than oh, I do. You know what? It just kind of settled to the bottom. My second sip was actually much better. Yeah. I have a feeling my third sip's going to be perfection. Your fourth sip, it'll be gone. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, see, now that's a sour. Yeah, like my lips are all like, yeah. oh, it's so tart now. Like I'm making the whole Sour Patch Kid face uh, right Okay, so, so I'm so glad we did this because this, yeah. uh, this is such a better drink than what we had before. Um, and I'm not getting that weird uh, nah. that weird taste that we were getting with because the Maker's I, Mark. I think it was the wheat. Yeah. We added something, which wasn't, I didn't find it bad. You did. It was fine. And I also want to point out that we just took this from 109 to 125 proof. <laughs> all right. The big, Maybe that's why we like it better. <laughs> the big boys are out playing. <laughs> And so I'm glad we did it. Yeah. And this is what we do. Right. We get all fair. And I'm like, come on. You don't really, you don't want to see what a bullet tastes like. Let's just do one drink and split. I'm like, oh, right. So, you know, three sips. Mine, mine's gone. He's still nursing his over there. But no, the, I'll, I'll, I'll finish this. And then, well, <laughs> and then, oh, God, I can't wait to make the scoff I know. We're going to make the scoff right now. We just had to take a little 10 minute detour and uh, we'll come right back. Okay, so uh, Scott and I are back. We've made the Scofflaw. It is a beautiful, red, delicious-looking drink. It's so fucking red. <laughs> it's so red. And why is it red? I'll go through the parts again. It's one and a half parts, Knob Creek, rye, cast strength, mm-hmm. 126 proof, <sighs> one part dry vermouth. Yes. Three quarters parts lemon juice, three quarters part grenadine, and then the option of two dashes of orange bitters. Now, what we've elected to do is try it without the bitters, and then we'll add a dash in each of our drinks and see how much that changes the drink. Right. And we've served it up, no ice, in a martini glass. With a um, expressed lemon peel. <laughs> it's very lemony. That's really nice. I like it. The proofage is completely gone right now. Yeah, this does not taste like an alcoholic drink. The grenadine has not provided as much sweetness as, let's say, the simple syrup did No, to the whiskey sour. But this is equal parts lemon juice and grenadine. Which is what we advocated for at the end of the whiskey sour section. Yeah. 
And the dry vermouth, which we tasted off air, just right. because of, we'd never had it alone before, and we didn't really care for it all that much. I can't taste any of that in this, but maybe... No, you are, because I think that's what's taking down the sweetness of the grenadine. Okay. Because we also st- sampled the grenadine by itself, and it definitely oh is sweet. Oh my god, that was so sweet. And yet, I'm not getting that, so I feel like the fact that there's more dry vermouth than grenadine has kind of muted that a bit, which I think is necessary. I think that's making it a much more mature drink. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is terrific. It is sweet, though. It's not as sweet as the first whiskey sour that we made, but it's sweeter than the second one. I just added three drops of Woodford Reserve orange bitters. We like it because it has a little eyedropper in it. Yeah. Because I'm never really sure how much of it is a dash. Is it? Nobody really knows. Sometimes, like, you know, I hit the bitters and I'll, I feel like seven or eight drops hit. Other times, it's like three. I, don't, I can't. Yeah, so the Angostura bitters, you, you can drop them one by one drops, or you can, like, actually, like, do a dash, which is uh, arm movement. You're going to notice this. Taste it with the bitters. Okay, I will. It definitely adds something. Uh, bitterness. <laughs> which is different than the tartness, though. Yes, right. It's not sour. It's bitter. Oh, that is better. Yeah. Yeah. The bitter definitely adds something to it. Yeah. Well, it, how many drops you put in? I put in three. That's what I put in, right? Yeah. And it really mm. gives it a new dimension. Like before it was sweet and sour. Yeah. And now it's got the bitters, but an extra sweet citrus from the orange. I, mean, I agree. Yeah. It's so much better with the bitters. The Scofflaw, to me, is a better drink than the whiskey sour. I agree. Now, this is a little bit more complicated. You have to have the dry vermouth and the grenadine. Yeah. But the grenadine, you can get anywhere. Any supermarket really. has it. Because it's non alcoholic. Any supermarket has it. Yeah. Um, lemons are anywhere. And the dry vermouth is sold right next to the sweet vermouth you, yeah. you all use for Manhattan. Yeah. So. Yeah. You, you can get it anywhere. I had a um, an uncle that used to do dry martinis with gin. What he would do is put in a nice splash of dry vermouth into the martini glass, and he would swirl it around and coat the whole inside of the glass, and then he would dump it into the sink. <laughs> and then he would pour the gin in with an olive, and that's what he would do. And um, they call that just show the glass, the bottle of dry vermouth. <laughs> And then put the the gin or the vodka in. (laughs) Yes, I have a similar story. My aunt, um, Osina, she was strangely named. uh, Fuck, Osina? Osina, yeah. I didn't know your aunt was a black grandmother from Georgia (laughs) at the turn of the century. Well, well, it's an interesting name. So um, we have family ancestry that apparently are Blackfoot Indians. Uh, And the name Osina, O-C-E-A-N-A, like ocean with an A on the end, was a family name handed down to her. It's actually my mom's middle name. So her aunt, my great aunt, who was 20 sisters with my grandmother came over to my house on a christmas eve one time it was a no stop in her 80s this was um the first major event that i had at my house a big family you know like how old were you Oh, God, I guess it was in my 30s. Oh, okay. I must have been. Your family uh, didn't entertain a lot, huh? In my, this is the first big event that, that you had at your house or your family's house? At my house. Oh, yeah. oh <laughs> all right. It's your, all right, now it makes sense. You were married. You had your house. Yes, okay. exactly. It was our first big event that we had, and Janine's family came as well. Right. Anyway. I wasn't there. Well, well, no, it was a family event. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you, you were married and had your own family. I did. Little bitch. <laughs> she was very particular about her vodka martinis. So right. her and my grandmother drank vodka martinis, but my grandmother was basically, it was just vodka with, as Ed said, show the glass, right. the vermouth, and then just pour vodka and put an olive in it. So that was my grandmother, but my great aunt, she actually liked dry vermouth in it. So I bought this big bottle of dry vermouth because my uncle said, oh, your aunt's going to want that. So you, you need to bring it. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I will go out and get it. So it's the exact thing that we have here today, yeah, the Martini brand. and Rossi extra dry vermouth. And I asked her, what would you like to drink? And she said, I want a vodka martini with a splash 
of dry vermouth. I'm like, fuck. What the fuck is a splash? Right? right? right it's, exactly. It, it's like the dash of bitters. Right. Nobody knows what it is. So I was like, oh shit, if I fuck this up, I will never have a holiday party Until again. she dies, she's 80, so you had like a year and a half to worry about it. Well, that's true. She did have a Unless she's later. the queen of England. <laughs> right. But she was not the queen of England. No. Anyway, so I went into my dining room where my tea cart was containing all of my alcoholic products, whiskeys, my <laughs> mixtures, and right. my um, stirs, and my shakers, and okay, everything. Right. Yeah, the one that's right behind us. Right. So I made the thing. I made it because I had looked up the recipe before, mm-hmm. and I knew how many ounces of vodka to put in there. And I did just put a splash. I took a cap full, I think is what I did. Okay. Just the cap full, and I poured it in. The vodka swirled it around, and I think I might have garnished it with a lemon peel. Threw it in, gave it to her. Nervous. She, she sips it. Everyone's watching. Everyone's like, did Scott fuck it up? <laughs> did he? Did he fuck it up? And she's like... This is one of the best vodka martinis I've ever had. And she's 80. So what does that say, right? That's like the best thing an 80-year-old. If I tell you right, if I'm, if I'm 80, like like I'm going to live to 80. But if I live to 80 <laughs> and I said that about this is the best Manhattan ever had, you, you should do a backflip. It was one of the best alcohol-related moments of my entire life. It's a great story. <laughs> it was great. Anyway, yeah, so let's uh, talk about the scoff law and so the history the, of it. Well, of course, the scoff law comes from Prohibition, uh, which we did our whiskey entry, which I know you all enjoyed, all four parts of it, and you listened to every minute of it because it was <laughs> riveting, and that was in January, and if you haven't listened to it, go back. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it right it's now. Gold. Random belligerents. Sorry about that. Sorry. Sorry. Okay, so I looked up the scoff law, found this website called lettersandliquor.com, run by a guy named Matthew Wine, W-Y-N-E. He's a really good writer, so I'm just going to paraphrase four paragraphs of what he said about the scoff law. Looking back, it's hard to believe that people believed prohibition would work. The policy was such a massive failure at so many levels that it's easy for us to say in retrospect, of course it was a disaster. What country would go without alcohol? But I want you to pretend you are a teetotaler. You don't have a taste for alcohol. You've seen its deleterious effects on society, and you decide in your heart, this evil must be rooted out for the good of humanity. You crusade. You politic. You strategize and rally. And finally, after years of hope, your dreams come true with a passage of the Volstead Act. It must have seemed like a monumental shift in human history, a moment that would be remembered by future generations as having elevated the state of man. But two years into Prohibition, any such hopes had been thoroughly quashed. Not only were normally law-abiding citizens sucking down booze with gleeful disregard for authority, but organized crime and police corruption had metastasized. Enter one Delsever King, Harvard graduate, prominent Boston banker, and champion of unpopular causes. Delsevar so believed in the power of words that he decided to sponsor a contest to come up with an epithet that would shame the misguided out of their wicked ways. The prize, $200, which is about $3,000 in today's money, but not in cash. He paid in gold. There were 25,000 entries. A staggering number at the time. Because remember, this is the 1920s. People were typing and mailing. Right, exactly. Roll off the tongue terms like Bolshevik and Boozocrat lost out to scofflaw. Delsever told the press that he aimed to stab awake the public conscience of law enforcement. 
But the only thing that got stabbed was Mr. King's pride. He was widely lampooned, and the contest generated a spectacular level of attention, with newspapers across the country and the world giving constant coverage to this affair. But then, a Parisian bartender named Harry McElhone sees the stories and gets an idea. A pony of this, a Philip of that, and voila, a new drink. And then two Americans walk into Harry's New York bar in Paris and ask for a menu. One says to the bartender, the scofflaw, eh? <laughs> it's a cocktail? Oh, that's funny. I'll have one of those. Hey, what's the big idea? <laughs> Make it two, says his friend. And they drink to their dear USA. And that's the story of the scofflaw. One and a half parts Knob Creek rye cast red, one part dry vermouth, three quarters parts lemon juice and grenadine, and two dabs of orange and bitters work for us. Oh, man, it's intense. Yep. Like now sipping it, having uh, read all that and coming back to it and Ed's finished his drink. Uh, big surprise. Mm. It, was, um, it was delicious, though. It's sweet and tart. And this is a terrific cocktail. This is a really good cocktail. And the driver vermouth doesn't assert itself, but evidently is incredibly necessary. I think so. I, I really do. It, it has a nice balance to it. Let's Very make f- another one without the driver vermouth. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> The way I just make up excuses that warm whiskey. I, I know. This is, with the orange bitters, is now a perfect drink. There's uh, nothing to be done to it. Agreed. It's what we talked about on our very first cocktail episode, episode number five. We talked about the balance of all the flavors, and I'm sure that Anders is somewhere listening to this at some point and saying yes, because that's the entire premise of being a mixologist. You know, and he's a, a true artist of the game. Like, he really really examines the the mixtures and he's one that really understands the nuance of what a quarter ounce either way can really do to affect a drink in fact doing this solo is actually giving us more of an education on how important that ratio is so we have one more drink for you tonight it's going to be the bourbon 75 yes a fizzy drink and so we're going to take a break and we'll come back Okay, everybody. So we're back, and I have made the bourbon seventy-five with the old Ezra seven-year. What's the proof on that again? One hundred seventeen proof. So one hundred seventeen. So I added one and a half ounces of old Ezra one seventeen bourbon, half a lemon juiced, half a teaspoon of honey, and three ounces of champagne. Which we haven't added yet. We're going to add that in a second. Right. We're going to add it in a second after Ed tells us a little bit about Old Ezra 7-Year. All right. So the company is Luxco. They're a non-distiller producer. So they source their whiskey. And they put out a few other ones you might know. Rebel Yell. Oh. Um, Rebel Yell. Okay. Ezra Brooks, which is their regular one. Mm -hmm. The Old Ezra's a step up. Yellowstone. And then they're also behind Blood Oath. Oh, Lux Row. Yeah. 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 That's why I I recognize the name. Yeah. And it was this particular 
brand was released in October 2018. Really? The, the mash bill is, uh, right, so it's new. We didn't see it. We, we didn't. No, no. no it, it did seem new to me. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the mash bill is 78% corn, 12% malted barley, and 10% rye, which is really weird. Very, huh. very, very high corn. Wait, is the barley higher yes. than the rye? Yes. Oh, that is it's interesting. Very rare. Yeah. It, it does happen occasionally. And the price is around $40, which is really amazing. It's terrific. Yeah. You know, I, just shout out to Gabe, because I think he actually was the one who brought it to he us. Did. And we pre-gamed with it on one of our episodes. So what's interesting, Luxro distillers have built an 18,000 square foot, six barrel warehouse capacity. F- Wait, uh, six barrel? Well, it's a... S- Six barrel warehouses, meaning they have six warehouses for barrels. I think. Oh, oh, I see. I don't not, know why. I don't not know. a warehouse no. with six barrels. In they're, each. they're calling them barrel warehouses. Be, so they have six of them. They're very small. Right, eighteen thousand square foot property, forty-three <laughs> foot custom copper still that can produce three million gallons of spirits per year. Ooh, damn! The distillery will produce bourbon for the company on its own brands and will replace source products when the bourbons that they're making now come of age. Okay. In the meantime, they're sourcing Old Ezra from where? MGP. Heaven Hill. Oh, damn. <laughs> Heaven Hill. Stumped. <laughs> because And they built their new distillery in Bardstown. No. Okay. Okay, great. So, I mean, but Heaven Hill, we found out, was sourcing for Willet dude, sourcing. Dude, Heaven Hill, they're just amazing. Right. They're an amazing company. Yeah. So. <laughs> the Bourbon uh, 75. Again, do, the, uh, do the ratio one more time for the people. Okay. So, it was one and a half ounces. This is per drink. Yep. One and a half ounces of Old Ezra. 117 bourbon. Correct. Half a lemon juiced. Love. One half teaspoon of honey. Mm. And now we're going to add three ounces of champagne. We brought actually um, murder hornets and squeezed the honey out of each one of them. We have murder hornet honey. Hornets do not make honey. Hornets do not make honey. Science. I know. That was a joke. Was it? I know who makes honey, bitch. I know what a, I know what a bee is. You're a bee. You're being a bee right now. Bee. Random belligerence. Ed edition. So Scott's poured the uh, champagne in now. You're just taking advantage because I'm pouring the champagne and I'm not on microphone. That's right, bitch. Bee. <laughs> just you little bitch. <laughs> All right. This is the first time I've ever used my champagne flutes. He stole them from his ex-wife. I did. Yep. Guilty. Moving out of the house, she's like, I'll hide these two. For no reason. I don't even want them. I just don't want you to have them. I I, I just packed them away. She didn't know. Yeah. She didn't know we had these. So my first sip is basically champagne. Right, because you pour the champagne on top of the Mm. other stuff. But as it kind of bubbles up, Mm. I mean, you definitely taste the lemon. Yeah, it's like champagne and lemon right now. I have yet to get to the whiskey. I have yet to get to the honey either. <laughs> like, the, there's no sweetness in this at all. I don't like it's, the way. I don't like the way they made us do this. It's champagne and oh, lemon. Oh, oh god! It's like drinking champagne and lemon. Okay, so let's try to get through this. <laughs> let's stop. Being, I mean, stop you being. have to drink this one fast to get to the good part. Mm. It's like you sucked down an ounce and a half of champagne just to get to the drink. Right. Well, so maybe that's the pleasure of the of the drink. Like you have to uh, wait to get to the um, mm. the stuff at the bottom. They should call it the foreplay. <laughs> I love it. Oh the French God. foreplay. <laughs> the French foreplay. Yeah. Mm. Ooh la la. Yeah. So this drink, the Bourbon 75, is based on a drink called the French 75. 
which is served the same way, except both people are topless. <laughs> but it's, a, yeah, right. It's a different drink. It's a different base spirit. So I'm going to give you a little bit of history on this. I figured that I would uh, consult the same expert, lettersandliquor.com, Matthew Wine, as we did the Scofflaw. So he says about this, with its champagne flute, fine bubbles, and demure lemon twist. There's nothing fucking demure about no, this. It's, it's fucking in your face. It's like getting skull fucked by a lemon. <laughs> How demure is that? It's not fucking demure. The French 75 sure doesn't look like it was named after a killing machine. But I suppose a war as brutal as World War I could warp a person's sense of humor. The original French 75 was a highly advanced piece of artillery used to cover an open field with deadly fire, thus making it nearly impossible for enemy infantry to advance upon a well-prepared battalion without heavy cover. The 75 could fire 15 rounds per minute with ease, which was an incredible speed for the time. Once the introduction of trench warfare obviated field-sweeping operations, the 75 was repurposed for delivering toxic gas canisters. So does the cocktail still look chic and sophisticated to you, Ed? Does it? Right now. Does it, Ed? Does it? I mean... It's named after a killing machine! I've studied all of the wars, and the Civil War had so much terrible things about it, but there is no war that I would want to... Even Vietnam with the jungles and the Japanese island fighting from World War II. No, fuck that shit. That's terrible, but... The trench warfare with the gas and the mud. See, every fucking World War One clip mm-hmm. or movie, but even real clip that I see is full of a muddy fucking trench. The trenches are like six inches of mud everywhere they go. It's a terrible, disease-ridden things that like trench foot. Yes, <laughs> the only cool that's what they call thing, it. The that. only cool thing that came out of World War One is a trench coat. That's the only <laughs> thing. World <laughs> War One was coat. a terrible right. fucking war millions of senseless death though i did see cavalry that the horses were trained to flop down when machine guns fire and then pop back up again and start running that's pretty cool even the genteel show downton abbey depicted world war one as being fucking terrible i'm going to tell you right now world war one is worse than you can even imagine it it's a terrible terrible fucking event right it was the transition between the old style kind of war between new stuff with gas canisters like we right. talked about the trench warfare the uh, machine guns like the french 75 right yeah so um so this delicious drink right i'm at the bottom now so i'll be able to taste it the creation of the drink is widely that was a terrible segue the creation of the drink was widely attributed to the same guy who created the scoff law harry McElhone, in harry's new york bar in paris but interestingly enough he attributed it to a gentleman named mcgarry who worked in the bucks club in london so before that even the basic recipe was floating around for a long time before it was christened with the name that would bring it popular claim Charles Dickens, none other, back in the roaring 1860s, was reported to have entertained his guests with gin and champagne cups. Champagne cups, by the way, is just champagne, sugar, citrus, and ice. So there's your French 75 right there, a full two decades before the gun was even invented. Mm. In fact, if you simply replace the sparkling water in a Tom Collins with sparkling wine, you've also stumbled into the French 75. And the Tom Collins dates back even further than Charles Dickens. So suffice it to say that this combination had an air of inevitability to it. And because it's essentially a boilermaker with wine instead of beer, it's no surprise that somebody used the name of the era's most famous weapon to intimate the drink's punch. 
However, one yes. oddity concerning the French 75. Yes. It's often called the cognac drink, which we alluded to earlier, instead of a gin drink. Sometimes that happens to a drink. It's base spirit changes, like the Sazerac. Still, the French 75 tells us something about prohibition error imbibers. They had a dark sense of humor, and they could handle their booze. Despite the recent destruction of war, they were staying loose, taking the old and making it new, and having a lot of fun doing it. That spirit is important to remember today. And whether you take your French 75 with gin or cognac or bourbon, I raise my glass to you just the same. Well, thank you, Scott. That was beautiful, by the way. Thank you. Tremendous oration. It's, it's, it's mostly Matthew. Yes. Matthew Wine. I, I am Thank you, Matthew Wine. Is he alive, Matthew Wine, or is he passed uh, Oh, no. He's Wine. He's a young guy. He's, okay. on, he's on the internet. So. Letters um, and I, liquor.com. I finished mine to try to get to the good part. <laughs> and um, Did you ever get to the I good part? I never did. Like, <laughs> I guarantee you, I'm going to make you a pledge. It'll be the last bourbon 75 that I drink in my life. I got nothing out of that. Now, that being said, I think that, once again, girls who like champagne, this is something you could serve your lady friend to make her kind of like, oh, this is great. You thoughtful and creative. Um, I don't see a lot of guys lining up for this. It's lemon and champagne and honey, and then the whiskey gets lost. I mean, I lost a whiskey. I didn't find it. I totally agree with you. There, it doesn't taste like a whiskey uh, no. at all. There's too much lemon in it. We got 117 proof whiskey in there. You're supposed to do this with 101 proof whiskey. Uh, yeah. If the goal was to make whiskey palatable to someone who doesn't like whiskey, I guess so. This would be the answer sure because like why even add the whiskey at all because you can't even taste it i mean but it's getting you fucked up i mean it's there okay right that's true but there's no purpose of this being a whiskey cocktail i mean i don't know if maybe cognac would be more flavorful or gin so this is from old ezra's website yeah. where they made this distaff version of the friend 75 by just right. switching out the gin for the bourbon but right. I, i'm not a big gin fan but i could see gin working in this cocktail very well well, if we get a bottle of gin, which occasionally I fall into a bottle of beef eater from time to time in the summer, I like my gin and tonics occasionally. He also likes to eat beef, just to be clear. And right, I'm a beef eater. Who doesn't? Right, and uh, I like beef eater gin. <laughs> I like I like gin that tastes like gin. I'm not a so I'm not dumb. A, I'm not a Bombay Sapphire I'm, or Tangare guy. I'm, I'm, I'm so dumb. You are. I like my gin to be dry. I like good English dry. I don't gin. like gin at all. Ugh. Well, it's fine, but I mean, I can drink gin straight on the rocks if I have to. Um, Actually, though, you mentioned earlier the blue coat gin. Wait, was that now? Was or was that the other? Was that the short? That was a short. That was a short we did. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, Philadelphia Distilling Company makes a blue coat gin. I went on a distillery tour for them, and it was terrific. They ply you with a lot of alcohol. Wait, where, I, where, where, I where, highly recommend it. Wait, when was when did you go on that tour? Oh, there was a work thing because uh, it's near my office thing. at work, which I don't go to anymore. Uh, his work thing. He calls that lunch. When <laughs> lunch, he goes on distillery tours and gets all banged up. So, I'm not gonna say that. That's false. Fake news. Fake, no, no, fake news. Scott's job. No, it's true. True news. No, wait. Your boss listens what? to this. Fake news. He does listen to this. So right. yeah, let's wrap up by rating. Uh, not yeah. rating, but uh, putting the drinks in the it's order that we simple. like them. Yeah, it's very simple for me. It's two, one, three. No doubt. Absolutely, I agree. With the Scofflaw was the best drink that we made. Absolutely, it was unique and fun, and I will make it again. Yeah, and and a whiskey sour, I definitely would do that again because it's easy, it's quick, and it's, it can make a lot of people happy. And I can alter it to make different people happy. So the whiskey sour, I would make it again with the bullet high proof bourbon that right. was terrific inversing the traditional ratio of the lemon juice yes, and the simple syrup right. or making it equal and if i had time if i wasn't being impatient i might add a little bit of egg white into it yeah see I, what that happens I, i'm gonna make them equal yeah 
I think you're going to like that. I like yeah. the way we made it the second time. And, I liked and, a little but, bit more lemon. Right. And the bourbon 75, I'll never, ever consciously no. seek out again. No, because, you know, I like champagne all on its own, and I like whiskey all on its own. The adding of the lemon juice and the honey did nothing. I didn't like it. Um, I'm glad we tried it. I mean, I'm annoyed yeah. because I saved a half a bottle of Old Ezra for that drink and didn't drink it for the last two weeks. <laughs> and I could have drank that based on what happened tonight with that shitty ass drink. You could, but you know what? You can take it home and still drink it. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. So take us out, Ed. So listen, thanks so much for tuning in. We appreciate you all checking us out. And we will continue to bring you cocktail episodes every fifth episode. Yep. Hopefully in the fall when we hit 30, we'll have Anders back. Oh, that'd and he'll be, great. be able to give us his, you know, savoir faire yeah, of, of cocktails again. We have a deep dive planned. Two of the cocktails we've already done and a new cocktail that we've never done. Yes. And so we are really missing our tastings at the local lounge. Definitely. We were supposed to have a Buffalo Trace tasting. We were supposed, we were supposed to, to have right. Pinhook. Dude, we were supposed to taste an expression of Pappy Van Winkle. Yeah, Pappy. We're going to have Pappy it's tasting. It's canceled. It was canceled. Bullshit. I mean, don't say that we're not suffering. <laughs> All right. Everybody, please. <laughs> Enjoy your whiskey responsibly to take the edge off this terrible pandemic and quarantine. Yes. yes. Keep yourself safe. Yes. Remember the last Thursday of the month is off. True. So that our new fans can catch up on some of our older episodes. And you can too, because I know you're behind. Everyone's behind. Mm. It's just how it happens. Yo. So thanks for tuning in today. I'm Ed. I'm Scott. We'll see you next time at the Whiskey Tangent Podcast. Be well. <laughs> Cheers, everyone. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, be sure to check out our next episode, which is way better than this one. Oh, yeah. Also, follow and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash whiskey tangent. And follow us on Twitter at whiskey tangent. You can follow me personally at that whiskey guy. And follow Scott at giant cup of awesome, spelled A-W-S-U-M, just to be annoying. Hey. You can email us any questions, comments, or love at whiskeytangent at gmail.com. And of course, you can find us always at our podcast website, whiskeytangent.podbean.com.